0: Now, for the next four Sundays, beginning today, we're going to be looking primarily in the book of Luke. We want to go back over the Christmas story, the most important event, I would say, in human history the birth of Christ, obviously, his life here on earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life so that he could be the sacrifice for our sins, just like Ed spoke of this morning. It's a story that never gets old. It's a story that should be retold over and over again. And so that's what we'll be focusing on this morning. We want to look at Mary's encounter with the angel Gabriel, where he brings her some amazing news, startling, baffling And yet we just see the incredible maturity, character, quality of this young girl as she receives this announcement. The title of the message, With God Nothing Will Be Impossible. How many of you believe that? Good, because it's true. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word today. We thank you for this story that we're going to be looking at for the next four weeks. The story of the advent, the incarnation. The birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Arguably the most important event in human history when God, in the form of a man, came into this world to be the Savior of all mankind. We ask your blessings upon this time in your scriptures now. Lord, speak to our hearts. Transform us by the renewing of our minds We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to pick it up in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And again, if we were to go back in chapter 1, we would find that what is being referred to here by Dr. Luke, the only Gentile writer of the Bible. Isn't that amazing? What an honor for Luke, I guess, to be included as the only Gentile. Another thing we would find if we had time to study the whole chapter is that Luke actually set out on an extensive investigative tour to learn all he could about the story and the history of Jesus because he was not amongst the original disciples. And he went around interviewing various people in order to be able to accurately write his gospel. And so the sixth month here that he's referring to was the sixth month of Mary's cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy. Remember Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist? She was actually six months ahead of Mary. And later on, when they're both grown up, John and Jesus, John would be the one who would go before the Lord Preaching repentance for sin and saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Jesus and John the Baptist, you probably already know this, but they were actually cousins. Just like Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. So now as Gabriel comes to bring this message to Mary, it just so happens that this takes place during the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. John the Baptist would be born in just three more months. The angel Gabriel was sent by God. In all of Scripture, there are only two angels who are mentioned by name, Michael and Gabriel. And so I guess we could assume that they are perhaps the two most important and significant of all angels, archangels they're called. The Greek word for angel angelos means messenger. Hebrews 1.14 Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? How many of you here today have inherited salvation? You've been born again by the Spirit of God. And so what this scripture tells us You know, we've all talked about, heard about guardian angels. Guess what? They're real. You really have them. Ed mentioned some of my testimony. I was just going back over it in my head a couple nights ago. (laughs) Maybe it was last night. I don't know. Do your days and nights run together? I was thinking about all the times because I was thanking God for life, for being given the gift of life and for still being here And all the times that I've had close encounters with death or serious injury. And so that then in turn caused me to start thinking about His angels, the ministering spirits, the guardian angels who watch over those who will inherit salvation. So here's the deal. God knew before this world was ever created, every single human being who would ever Believe in Him, acknowledge Him, receive His Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior. He knew that in advance. And therefore, because God is omnipotent, He's all-powerful, He's omniscient, He's all-knowing, He's omnipresent, He's everywhere, He's really smart. God also knows that who would be the enemy's prime target? We know who the enemy is, right? the devil, Satan, Lucifer, the dragon, the serpent? Who would be his prime target? Those that are predestined, foreordained, chosen to become the sons and daughters of God. The ones that will never come to Christ, he can let them go their merry way and destroy themselves because that's what we do. That's what sin does. Drug addiction will destroy you. Pornography will destroy you. Sexual impurity will destroy All these things will destroy you. Greed will destroy you. So if you're not ever going to come to Christ, and God knows if you will or you won't, then I hate to tell you this, but you're not going to get a guardian angel. If God already knows in advance that you're, all, that you're going to reject Him throughout your entire life. And by the way, that's what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. I've met so many believers in my life that were worried. Oh, no, no, I'm worried, I'm worried, I'm afraid I blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Well, have you denied Christ? No. Then guess what? You haven't blasphemed the Holy Spirit. That's the devil trying to mess with your head. He's got six ways to Sunday, just like Chuck Schumer. The FBI, they got six ways to Sunday to get back at you, Mr. Trump. You better watch out. Oh, my goodness, was that a prophecy? The devil's got six ways to Sunday to mess with your head, but don't let him do it. Let God transform you by the renewing of your mind through the washing of water with his word. Now, maybe I've got some of you worried. Oh, no, what if I don't have a guardian angel? Well, receive Christ and you'll be fine. Because they are ministering spirits sent forth to watch over, to protect those who will inherit salvation. If you've ever wondered, how come I didn't buy the farm all those times? Why am I still here? Well, quite possibly God has a plan for your life. That's why. And then people will get very upset with God if someone that they care about, that they care for, does leave this world. They do expire, either by natural means or unnatural means. And they get mad at God and they blame God. But at the end of the day, if you're a believer and you leave this world, it's because you've gone to a better world. It's a promotion. And if you're not a believer... I hate to say it, it doesn't really matter when you go, now, tomorrow, the next day, because any way you slice it, you're going to spend eternity separated from God because you chose to reject Him and His Son. That's just the truth. You want to avoid that dark eternity? Give your life to Jesus Christ. Acknowledge Him as the Savior of your soul. Invite Him to come and live inside of you and make you what Paul calls a new creature in Christ Jesus. All that just to talk about angels. Gabriel. The angel Gabriel was sent by God as God's messenger to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So, first of all, Gabriel had visited Zechariah and Elizabeth in the hill country of Judea down south, y'all. Down there they used to say, uh, Oy ve (laughs) y'all. Shalom, y'all. But now, (laughs) Gabriel now travels north to Nazareth, located in lower Galilee, about halfway between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea is where Nazareth is. And Nazareth at this time, one of the reasons that the bigwigs in Jerusalem were so skeptical of Jesus, Nazareth at this time was an insignificant village of about 1,600 to 2,000 people. Kind of like some of these little tiny podunk towns in New Mexico, you know? In fact, Nazareth was so insignificant it wasn't even mentioned in the Old Testament. And so really the folks from Nazareth in that region of Galilee were looked at like hillbillies. Remember how they mocked the uh, accent of Jesus' disciples? Because unlike those in the south that said Shalom, y'all, those up north in Nazareth said, pack the donkey. Will you go and pack the donkey? Because they were from the north. Okay. Okay. Probably stretched it a little too far. Verse 27, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now in Judaism, virgins were young maidens, usually 14 or younger. The term Luke uses here for virgin also indicates obviously she had not yet had relations with a man, as we'll see uh, later on. But again, unlike our modern world, our current culture, this represented uh, girls usually 14 or younger. So, but again, oftentimes the lifespan wasn't as long. Life was much harder, a lot of hard physical work and labor, and so they tended to marry younger. She was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. So or pledged to be married. The King James Version uses the word espoused. Revised Standard Version, New American Standard, say engaged. So all the same meaning, betrothed, pledged to be married, espoused, engaged. But according to Jewish law, espousal or engagement was just as binding as marriage. It was though as though you were already married. You just hadn't yet consummated the marriage with the final ceremony and the physical consummation of it. But notice, a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. One translation actually says Joseph, her husband. So again, he was already considered to be her husband. And even though they weren't yet officially, technically married, So sacred was this year of engagement or betrothal, that's how long it lasted, about a year, that they were by custom considered as if married. And so consequently, upon discovery of her pregnancy, Joseph's only recourse would have been to send her away, which meant to give her a bill of divorce, a certificate saying, in effect, this woman is not my wife, I am not her husband, as we read about in Hosea chapter 2. It's kind of cool when we find out a little bit more about Joseph here. God really covers all the bases. Notice Joseph of the house of David. Because Joseph was of David's line, as was Mary. So they were, at some point down the line, somehow related, not closely, but... Mary's lineage, her physical, biological lineage, can be traced back to David, but also Joseph. And so this would make Jesus, even though Joseph was not his real father, Joseph being his stepfather, would connect Jesus to the throne of David on both sides through Mary biologically and through Joseph legally. So, Jesus could be considered a descendant of David through both Joseph and Mary. Just love how God covers all the little details. The virgin's name was Mary. As previously mentioned, Luke shows a, uh, or at least I mentioned it in other studies that we've had in Luke, Luke shows a special concern for women in his gospel. He gives more airtime to them than the other gospel writers. And he's especially concerned with relating the birth of Jesus from Mary's perspective. So we have the most complete picture of all the events leading up to and surrounding the birth of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. In contrast, Matthew narrates the events from Joseph's perspective. So again, we see in the Gospels, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic Gospels because they present basically the same scenario with slight variations where the Gospel of John, that's a whole different world. John was something of a mystic. We see more of the supernatural in the Gospel of John, more, some really deep spiritual truths, not that there aren't deep spiritual truths in the other Gospels, but at any rate, so we get Matthew from Joseph's perspective, Luke from Mary's perspective, Verse 28, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Rejoice, highly favored one. Now, literally, this can be translated, grace, you who are highly graced. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It means we don't deserve it. And then highly graced. Mary, you're really receiving a double portion of God's grace, the greatest possible honor you're about to receive. And so even though Mary was obviously a godly young woman, girl, it wasn't because of her godliness as much as it was God's grace. Grace, you who are highly graced, it was grace, God's grace, not Mary's character that made her God's choice. The Lord is with you. And in the Old Testament many times and also in the New Testament, God often encouraged His servants that He was with them. That's why it's important, folks, that we do spend time in God's Word, time in prayer, because God wants to communicate with us and one of the things that He wants to communicate to us on a regular basis is the fact that He is with us. But we can get so caught up in the Affairs of everyday life and the distractions, the cares, the worries, the concerns that we can actually, I don't know about you guys, do you ever forget, wait a minute, wait a minute, God is with me. So important. And that's really before Gabriel gives Mary all the vital statistics of what's going to happen. First he tells her how blessed she is, highly favored one, and then the Lord is with you. And for what he's about to tell her, she's going to need to know that. Jeremiah 1.8 Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. We find that over and over again where God comes to encourage, to uplift his people, to let them know that he's with them. Matthew 28.20 When Jesus is giving his disciples the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples of all nations, Verse 20, teaching them to observe or obey all things that I've commanded you. So one of the jobs of a disciple is to instruct others in obeying God's commands. Not because we're saved by works, but because if we are truly saved, truly born again, truly sold out to God, we will desire to keep His commands, to obey Him teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, notice this, Jesus tells his disciples, and they're going to need to know this too, because they're going to go out into the big bad world. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be stoned. They're going to be beheaded, crucified. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Folks, right now we're at the very end of the age. Did you know that? We're in the last days. But Jesus promised he would be with us even to the end of the age. Let me l- read Luke one twenty-eight again to you from the King James Version. The angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Hail, greetings. And greetings, like hail, were normal, but rank and status within society determined whom one would greet and with what words. Mary, being both a woman and a young person, again, 14 or even less perhaps, not yet married, Mary had virtually no social status. It was a whole different world back then. Today, we see uh, so many times these young, immature, unlearned uh, novices running the show wasn't that way back then. You know the old expression, children should be seen and not heard? Do you remember that? When I was a kid, that's what they said. Children should be seen and not heard. Shut up. Come back in 20 years when you know something. It's a lot different today. But Mary really had virtually no social status. And so neither the title favored, highly favored one, or graced one, grace you high, or highly graced, nor the promise that he Gabriel gives her, the Lord is with you, none of that would have been in a traditional greeting, even if she had been a person of status. This is an amazing greeting that Gabriel approaches Mary with, even somebody of a higher Status in life would not normally have received a greeting of this magnitude. But notice, not surprisingly, verse 29. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. So like most of us, Mary was concerned when someone higher up had a message for her. (laughs) I need to talk to you. Let's meet for lunch. I need a few moments of your time. I don't know about you guys. The first thing I think of is, what did I do now? Right? Uh oh. This is not good. So, even though the greeting was extremely positive, Mary was troubled at his saying, What? I'm just a little girl here, 14 years old. This angel's coming to me. What's up? Verse 30 Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So just like Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, when he had his encounter, he was a priest and yet he was afraid. In the Old Testament we find time and time again people were unnerved by these angelic visitations. And so Mary was scared, needed to be reassured. And the angel gives that reassurance. You have found favor with God. So it's kind of, he repeats it. Rejoice, highly favored one. And he senses this concern that Mary has, so he reinforces it. You have found favor with God. And again, we don't always hear an audible voice like Mary was hearing. We don't always have a personal confrontation with an angel, an angelic messenger. But again, we have the Holy Spirit living in us as born-again believers. We have the Word of God to comfort us. And so that's how we hear the voice of God. And sometimes we hear the voice of God through other believers. That's why fellowship is so important. They can uplift us, encourage us with godly biblical counsel, comfort, right? Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. It's okay, Mary. You're not in trouble. God's not taking you to the woodshed. I've got good news for you. In Genesis 6:8, God looked down into this world and He saw nothing but evil. The attitudes and intents of men's hearts was nothing but evil all the time. And yet, Genesis 6:8, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Mary, like Noah, was a righteous person in the midst of an unrighteous generation. Can you identify with that? We're not perfect, but we are forgiven. That's that old expression, Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. And so, thank God we've celebrated communion today by the grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are counted as righteous. And so we may be living in a wicked and perverse generation upon the earth, but we can still find favor with God, just like Noah, just like Mary. Favor or grace, the Hebrew word, chen, From a root meaning to bend or stoop. What does that mean? It's a meaning of condescending or unmerited favor of a superior person to an inferior one. God is the superior one. We're the inferior ones. And yet because of His love, His grace, His mercy, he, He pours out His grace upon us, His favor, and He condescends to have relationship with us. And finding favor here, as the angel tells Mary, finding favor with God means he's singled you out for a special task. But by the way, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Remember who else found favor with God? Job. (laughs) See, God just has a whole different way of looking at things than we do. He singles you out for a special task. You have found favor with him, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Verse 31, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Now this would be great news if Mary and Joseph had already consummated their marriage. Right? Something to celebrate, something to rejoice about. Joseph and I are going to have a baby, but no, that's not quite how this is going to work. You will conceive in your womb, bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, or Yeshua, we know in the Hebrew. Joshua, Yeshua. And his name literally means the Lord is salvation. And this verse, by the way, follows the normal Old Testament structure for a divine birth announcement and is the fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14. It's called the Emmanuel promise. Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So that's why Jesus has more than one name because he is so multifaceted. He is our salvation. The Lord is our salvation. He's also God incarnate, God in the flesh, God in human form. Matthew 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. So Matthew, quoting from Isaiah 14, and then he gives us the translation, which is translated, God with us. Verse 32, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will be great, to be exact the greatest of all, right? Interesting that the Muslim outcry of Allahu Akbar, which Avi Lipkin taught us, means God is greater, and what they really are saying when they call out Allahu Akbar They're saying that their God is greater than our God, which is not true, of course, because their God is the fallen one, Lucifer, whereas our God is the greatest of all. He will be called the son of the highest. He will be great. Of course, that makes sense that the enemy would use that strategy. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. So in Luke's genealogy in chapter 3, Matthew's genealogy in chapter 1, Jesus' lineage is linked to David, making him the legal and biological heir to the throne of David. And the coming of the Son of God to earth involved not only our personal salvation, but also the fulfilling of God's promises to his people Israel. Verse 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. This part of Gabriel's announcement has to do with Christ's millennial kingdom. This hasn't happened yet. This will happen when he comes back with the saints at the end of the tribulation. See, the church is not the house of Jacob. We are under the new covenant. So this is a specific promise for the people of Israel. And right now Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, which is not the same as the throne of David. When he returns and establishes his millennial kingdom here on the earth, he will rule from Jerusalem and he will sit on the throne of David. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man, or literally, since I am a virgin. How can this be? Now, when Zechariah was confronted by the angel Gabriel, his wife Elizabeth was beyond the years of childbearing, kind of like Sarah with Abraham. And so Zechariah asked Gabriel, how will I know? And that indicated an uncertainty or a lack of faith. Now, Mary had faith, that God would do what he promised, she doesn't say, how will I know? She says, how shall this be, not how can this be? Zechariah doubted the possibility. Mary was just curious about how this could possibly happen since she was a virgin. Again, confirming that she and Joseph had not yet consummated their marriage, and this is why Joseph's initial reaction was that he must put her away for committing adultery. So you see the predicament that she's about to find herself in. Verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. So here Gabriel is very graciously explaining to Mary exactly how this is going to happen. She said, how can this be or how shall this be? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. He will not have any earthly father. So Mary's question in essence was, how is this physically possible? And Gabriel's answer, interestingly enough, is a spiritual one. It's a spiritual answer to a physical question. The power of the highest will overshadow you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Mary, God's going to be all over you. That's how it's going to happen. I mentioned Luke, the Gentile physician who had no Old Testament Jewish background who may very well have conducted a personal interview with Mary because we know that Mary remained alive for some time after Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead, Jesus entrusted the care and keeping of his mother to John the beloved, the writer of the Gospel of John, not John the Baptist, but John the disciple became Mary's surrogate son. But Luke firmly supports as a, from a medical perspective, as a physician One of the most popular phrases flying around today is trust the science. Have you heard that one? But it just depends on whose science we're supposed to trust, right? But here you can trust the science, folks. Luke firmly supports the doctrine of the virgin birth of Jesus and he details it for us in an organized, methodical manner presenting the evidence gathered in his investigation. If you go back to verse 3 of Luke chapter 1, he's writing to his friend Theophilus. He says, Therefore, since I myself carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I've carefully investigated everything from the beginning. So he records Mary's testimony that she had never known a man physically. In Verse 34. He refers to her as a virgin. The Greek word Parthenon in verse 27. In verse 35 he describes the process by which the conception of Jesus would take place. The Holy Spirit would come upon Mary and the power of the highest would overshadow her. And Gabriel tells Mary, here in verse 35, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Pretty cut and dried, pretty black and white. The baby born to Mary will be God's Son, His only Son. No need of an earthly human father, God will be his Father. Man creates life through the human human physical act of procreation. God creates life through his divine power. We find in Genesis, as you know, that God created the first man from the dust of the earth. Some have referred to Adam as a mud man. And then what did God do? He breathed life into him, right? Right? A whole different process and by which we bring new life into this world. Is it any more difficult for God to impregnate the young Virgin Mary than it was to create the first man out of the dust of the earth and breathe life into him? Any more difficult? What's the title of the message? With God nothing will be impossible. The virgin conception of Jesus Christ has resulted in the perfect union of two natures in one person. Again, he is Jesus, the God man, fully God, fully man. Isaiah 9:6, the prophecy, of course, fulfilled in the coming of Christ. Isaiah 9:6 and 7. For unto us a child, and I don't know about your translation, but in mine the word child has a capital C because he's not just any child. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son, big S, is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. Again, this is a prophecy of the coming millennial reign of Christ on the earth. We've talked about this before, but one of the things that confused people at Christ's first coming is often in the Old Testament you have the prophecies of his first coming and his second coming back to back. And of course, like all human beings, those alive in Israel at the time We're looking for the positive aspect, the millennial reign of Christ, his victory over all the armies of this world. They overlooked the part where he would come the first time as a suffering servant. And we're only looking for a conquering king. Remember when he rode into Jerusalem on the donkey? They were all gung ho for that. The Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, he's here to deliver us from Roman rule. No. He's here to deliver you from your sins. But He is coming again. The government will be on His shoulder and His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and peace. There will be no end upon the throne of David and over His kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward forevermore, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so, we often read this passage at Christmas, but the only part that really applies to the first coming is the very first sentence, two sentences, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The rest will happen when he comes back again. Verse 36, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived, Mary didn't even know this yet, even though Elizabeth was six months pregnant. Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her, who was called barren. So which is harder, which is easier, to impregnate the young virgin Mary, or to enable Elizabeth, who was beyond the childbearing age, barren, had never had children, But now, lo and behold, she's with child. Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. Again, unlike Mary, she was beyond the age of childbearing. And unlike Mary, her marriage had been consummated for many years, but had produced no fruit, no children, no offspring. And then Gabriel says it right out loud. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And to help shore up Mary's faith. To uh, encourage her, affirm her in what's about to take place. Your cousin Elizabeth, an old lady, barren her whole life, she is now with child also. God can make the infertile fertile and He can make the virgin conceive. There's nothing He can't do. And after this shocking bit of news... Mary said, verse 38, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be according to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Wow. The only question she asked is, how, how, can, how can this be? How can this happen? How are you going to do this? Not really. Is this really going to happen? I don't believe it. I can't imagine. Just... Wow, since I've never been with a man, how is this going to happen? The angel tells her, and then her response is simply, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. How many of us would have responded that way? Wait a minute, Lord, hold on. I'm a young girl. I haven't I haven't slept with my husband yet. I'm gonna be an outcast. I'm gonna be accused of adultery. In in fact, I could be stoned to death for that. Under Jewish law, if I'm convicted of adultery, I could be stoned to death. Um, I don't really think I want this job. Have you ever reacted that way to God when He's asked you to do something? I don't know, Lord. I don't don't know if I want to do that. Uh, Can you find somebody else? Even Moses, remember? He didn't want to go. But Mary, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. And here's what's interesting. Many people get it backwards when it comes to God, and they think that God is supposed to be our servant. Now, yes, Jesus did come as a humble servant. He laid down His life for us. But in the overall scheme of things, God is not our servant, we're His servants. Mary had it right. A lot of people go through life asking, what's God going to do for me? He already did it. We're studying it right now. What's God going to do for me? Is He going to give me a new house, a new car, a better job, a beautiful wife, a handsome husband, perfect children? What's God going to do for me? He already did it. He sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins and my sins. That's what He did for you. Now the question is, what are you going to do for Him? Are you going to lay down your life for Him? Jesus said, if any man come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He's the leader. Hello? We're to be the followers. Mary had it right. Behold, the maid servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word, your will. Jesus, even Jesus in the garden prayed, Father, if it be possible, take this cup from me. Lord, Father, if you have a plan B that you've not made me aware of, this is a great time to reveal it. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. If the very Son of God yielded to the will of the Father, how much more should we? Amazing. Of course, Mary didn't have a cell phone. Mary didn't have a laptop or an iPad. Mary didn't have Netflix. 14-year-old girl living 2,000 years ago didn't have all the distractions that they have today. Do we ever wonder why... We've talked about this, 56% of young adults who identify as Christians, they don't go to church. Do we ever wonder why our young people are drifting farther and farther away? Is it because we've allowed them? I talked about this a few moments ago, how in Mary's day, she had no social standing, she was a child. Children should be seen and not heard. That might sound a little harsh. But we've gone completely the other way now. If we wonder why people are so far from God, the enemy has been very successful in creating every possible imaginable distraction. And we've all been sucked in by it. I talked about this several years ago relating to that film, The Matrix. (laughs) If you've ever seen it. And that's been the enemy's strategy to catch up the whole planet in this technological matrix which turns our eyes and hearts and minds away from God and towards other things. We all need to pray about it. We need to think about it. We need to work on it because the enemy's been quite successful. Ultimately, God wins. Those who are on God's side wins. But we are in a spiritual battle for the ages. But thank God that 2,000 years ago he sent his son Jesus Christ into this world to save us from our sins. Let's stand. Again, what did Mary face? She said, Let it be to me according to your word, knowing full well the shame, humiliation, and scorn she would face as an adulteress and unwed mother and possibly the loss of her marriage before it even began. We know that Joseph did consider putting her away quietly, not exposing her to public shame because he loved her, but he really, until the angel explained to him what was going on, he really thought Mary had been unfaithful. And she was just a teenager. So the challenge for us here today, are we willing to say what Mary said to God May it be to me as you have said. Let it be to me according to your word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonderful example of a young girl named Mary. Lord, we do ask your forgiveness for allowing ourselves and our young ones, our children, our grandchildren to be sucked in by this world Lord, you've told us in your word we can't love you and love the world. They're not compatible and we have fallen short in many ways. We do ask your forgiveness. And Lord, our hearts do go out to the young people, for the young people of today who have been drawn away by the things of this world. Help us, we pray, to do better at leading them to you, Lord, leading them to Christ. Showing them you, Lord, are the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you, Lord, for this time of year where we once again focus in. Although we should be focused every day, this is a special time where we give special attention to the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Help us to make the most of this opportunity we have throughout this month to point people in the right direction to the real true meaning of Christmas, the celebration of of the birth of our Lord and Savior. Let's take a moment now. If you have a prayer request, raise your hand. I'd like to pray for you. Prayer requests, Father, we lift up all those who have just raised their hand. We pray for those needing healing in their physical bodies. Lord, you are the great physician. Lord, you are the one who heals us. We ask that you would heal those who are struggling with illness, whether it be something... Minor or major, we talked about the fact that nothing will be impossible with you, Lord. So we lift up those afflictions, illnesses, injuries. And we ask that you would just lovingly, graciously favor us, pour out your healing upon us. We pray also for mental and emotional issues. Those need healing too, that you would touch us in our hearts, and our minds, that you would bring comfort and strength. That you would lift off of us any anxiety, depression, fear, worry, doubt, unbelief, jealousy, bitterness, vengefulness, unforgiveness. Lord, cleanse our hearts and minds of these things, we pray in Jesus' name. And we pray also for relationships to be healed that have been damaged or broken. Lord, give us the ability through the power of your Holy Spirit to be those who would promote reconciliation and restoration. Help us to be peacemakers. In the name of Jesus, we ask, Lord, for financial provision for those who are struggling. Lord, we pray that you'd impart hope and faith to us, that we'd be able to trust you no matter how bleak or dire the situation might look. Again, help us to be reminded that you are with us. You're on our side. And as we put our faith and our hope and our trust in you, you will provide for us, you will take care of us, and we thank you for it. Now we ask you to receive our final of offering of praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.